Blog Talk Radio. The Marketing Technology Blog Radio Show with Douglas Carr, founder of the Marketing Technology Blog and author of Corporate Blogging for Dummies, Online Marketing Strategies, Web, Search, Social, Email, Mobile, News, Tips, Tricks, and Best Practices from actual marketers, search professionals, and social media experts. Happy Friday. Uh, this is Jen from DKV Media. I'm taking over for Doug today. Um, our resident troublemaker is out of the office because he's going to the heart doctor. So, hope that everything's okay there. Um, just tell the world about his medical problems. It's routine. Yeah, we're transparent. That's better. But, but uh, we have another troublemaker in the house. Today, Robbie Swatter of Swatter Development. Uh, he's a productivity and workflow expert. Um, and welcome, Robbie. How are you doing? Great. How are you? I am fantastic. So today, you know, one of the things that we wanted to talk about was, you know, you say that productivity. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. You, most people have a misconception about what it actually means. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Well, I think most people tend to confuse productivity with simply being busy. Okay. There's a wonderful quote by George Valentine, the famous choreographer, which is never confuse activity with progress. And I think that all of us have been guilty of that mistake at some point in our lives, that instead of figuring out what it means to move forward, we just focus on making sure that we're moving. Right. We end up going in circles and taking two steps backwards, and never really advancing at all. Right. So, you know, you're a productivity and workflow expert. What what do you do for companies or individuals? Well, the most basic thing that we do is help people to identify what it means to be productive in their organization or within the context of their work and their values. Okay. And productivity is really not so much about being busy. It's more about setting objectives and then meeting those objectives. And furthermore, building systems and patterns and best practices to complete those objectives more efficiently and more effectively. Okay. So, you know, you say that companies need outside experts like yourself for fundamental work. Mm-hmm. So what kind of, like, give me an example of something, you know, you go into a company, what type of fundamental work would you be doing? Well, just this week I visited a company. And uh, had a nice conversation with the contact there at his death. And his death, like most companies, he is near other workers' deaths. And during that conversation, he had several comments and questions for his colleagues. And what did he do is what we expect, which is that he called over the cubicle walls to them to ask them questions. Okay. Now, this practice is certainly accepted. We have all seen this happen before. Um, but what happens in those cases is those people have to stop what they're doing, take off their headphones, turn away from their phone calls and their interaction and talk to him. And that break in concentration interrupts their workflow. And the studies show that when you're concentrating on really important, difficult tasks and someone interrupts you, it can take as much as 30 minutes to get back into the flow, into the ability to concentrate effectively on what you're doing. So that's a fundamental bad practice to interrupt people at work. And yet we do it all the time. It's totally ingrained in our culture. So 
person, you know, if, if someone, instead of doing that, would you say that maybe emailing somebody next to you would be a better practice, or what do you think would be the better solution? Well, I think you, you need to define a protocol that makes sense for your organization and your needs. You could certainly could send someone an email. What you might want to do is just having a running list of questions, right on paper or in file, and then on a consistent basis, maybe every hour or you know, meeting with them every week, you bring your litany of questions and say, hey, here's things that popped up that I wanted to ask you about. Mm -hmm. You could keep them in email or put them in a message, or you could just hang on to those questions. And the reality is, lots of things that we ask people casually, we figure out the answer to anyway, a minute or two later, if we can't reach them. Right. It's just easier to ask somebody than just look for ourselves. And it happens on Twitter all the time, right? right. When you ask a question, you're like, well, have you heard of Google? Just can't answer the question for you much faster if you just use it. Right, right. So what, I don't know, with what types of companies and businesses do you work with? Well, every company has productivity challenges. Right. The real question is which companies are interested in the kind of help that we have to offer, which ones have the right culture, the right opportunities. We focus on a specific area of process improvement which deals with office interaction primarily the way that we can communicate and coordinate routine tasks and opportunities. Other process improvement consultants focus on things like the factory floor. They work on uh, manufacturing or service delivery. But we focus more on office owners. Okay. And uh, we work fairly well with um, small and medium-sized nonprofits. We like working with sales organizations, especially if they're reselling third-party products. We love working with marketing and PR creatively. Okay. So, so, go ahead. This is Mohammed. I'm here as well. Um, what what interested you in that office culture and optimizing that expertise of it? Well, that's the area where there's the most opportunity in process improvement right now. You know, the difference between office process improvement and other areas of optimization is that most of the capital, most of the investment in an office environment is in people. Really, you have very little money, very resources involved, things like computers and furniture. Whereas if you're, say, in a print shop, you know, you've got millions of dollars of printing equipment, ink, and paper, and inventory, and really not very much money invested in people. And so most of the optimization there is in equipment. Right. But in, in office environments, most of your opportunity is in people. And some of the studies will show that you can see a range of productivity in office environments between 1 and 20 x that literally the most efficient people are 20 times more productive than those around them. Wow, wow. We've got a question in the uh, chat room. Just what are the biggest time wasters in the workplace? This is from Harry Howe. Hi, Harry. Well, the number one workplace um, time wasters is the one we already mentioned, which is unnecessary interruption. We are constantly barraged with interruptions, and most of them are simply not necessary. They can wait until a more opportunity. And all of our work goes in cycles. We focus on something for a while, and we take a break, and we switch tasks. Mm -hmm. And simply waiting until that time to take a break to deal with the interruption is a much better time to do it. So that's the number one time waster in the office. It's unnecessary interruptions. Okay. And when you know, when you're working with organizations on productivity, do you generally work with like the executive team or do you work with everyone who's, you know, involved in that company? It's interesting you ask that question because it turns out that all working with the executive team is very, very attractive but also absolutely the wrong approach. Right? Most organizations are very top-down, they're very hierarchical, especially as they get larger. Mm -hmm. And that's just simply the way that organizations have developed. 
And in those types of companies, if you meet with an executive, with an owner, with a vice president, and they get enthused about the idea of increasing productivity, and they present you to their team, automatically you're in an adversarial relationship. Because those people perceive productivity as being busy. They already feel that they're very busy, which means that a productivity expert has to be accusing them of not being busy, of their busyness not having value. And so automatically they assume that person is there to figure out who to get rid of. So actually, we don't want to meet with we want to meet with frontline people who believe in the work they're doing, who know there has to be a better way to communicate, collaborate, trust the team. No, that's a really good point. Um, another question also from Harry. How can organizations get meetings under control? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question, too. Meetings uh, represent a tremendous waste of business. As a matter of fact, I would say that meetings are the second biggest waste of time in business. The New York Times reports that we spend 40% of our working life in meetings. And three-fourths of us report from those meetings are a waste of time. Now, that's a powerful combination. That means that basically half of what we do at work, we don't think we have any value whatsoever. Now, meetings can be improved dramatically through the addition of two really essential elements. Number one, an agenda. That's what you made before the meeting. If you write an agenda and you follow that agenda, then the meeting has some direction and some purpose. Right. Meeting for the sake of meeting has no value. I've been meetings all the time, and they have no agenda, they have no direction, they don't begin on time, they don't end on time, and they're full of one person talking and yammering and no actual value. Okay. The second thing that you have to have in a meeting, you have to have an accountability structure. You can do this by having one person who records the minutes and then follows up with promises or plans that are made. You can do it by passing that responsibility around to different people each time. You can do it by recording the meetings and tuning them later. But in whatever case, whatever you decide in that meeting has to be made accountable. There are so many great ideas that have been presented at meetings that have never been followed up on because there's no accountability. And this is actually a really good um, lead into something I wanted to talk about. So, as you know, DKB Media is a row work environment. So a goal-oriented work environment. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that means that I can work where I want to work, when I want to work, as long as I get the work done. So there are no set hours. It's not 8 to 5. Like, I can work 2 in the morning or 1 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon. And I can work from home. I can work from the office. You know, and to me, I am more... 20 times more productive than I've ever been in my life because someone isn't dictating, oh, you have to be in the office 8 to 5 doing this and this. And part of the row, you know, mantra is that meetings, every meeting is optional. Mm -hmm. So, you know, before the meeting, how long do I need to be there? What do I, do I need to be there for 10 minutes or do I need to be there for the whole thing? Do, you know, what's my role in that? Um, but what are your thoughts in terms of, so, you know, obviously corporate America is still very 8-5, lunch, you get holidays, those many days. So what are your thoughts about these different types of work environments in well, terms of pro productivity? Well, yeah, I think that certainly concepts like row have tremendous impact. And really, you know, to me, when I look at the, the row model that, that Kelly Ressler and Jody Thompson remote, mm -hmm. My sense of it is that uh, it is an inversion of the typical model of work 
simple model of work is a FaceTime oriented, if not FaceTime only environment. And that the principal thing that's value is being there. Right? That by physically being in the office, you demonstrate value. But whoever is there the earliest, say some the latest, the least amount of sick time, takes the fewest vacation days, who is both to the most meetings, sees the most people, the person is value the most. In fact, there was a management fad in the 80s and 90s called management by walking around, which reinforces this concept. Right. And the idea is that if you go around and talk to people and see what they're doing and ask them how the kids are, you show them that you're present and that you exist for this reason. Row, of course, inverts this model and says, no, it's not the face time that matters, it's the results that matter. And anything that interferes with your ability to get results is wrong. Counterproductive. Right. I guess my message would be that uh, I think there's a lot of value in these alternative structures, but I really feel like the best way to transform an organization is from the inside out uh, and from the bottom up. The best thing that you can do as an individual, especially if you work in a large company, is the idea of some of these components working the hours that they're needed to you, all meetings being optional, seeing light years away. The best thing that you can do is demonstrate graphical productivity by taking things into your own hands. So, for example, let's say you have some work to do that requires intense concentration, and being interrupted will be even more annoying than normal. Take that work, book yourself a conference room, and go do it. And then at the end of that day, at the end of that hour, you will have achieved more than you did the entire previous day. Right. I think we're doing something that's kind of like a a hybrid between that role kind of concept and the traditional type of type of thing. And I, and I will say the experience myself, that's been something that's been very helpful for me as well. Mm -hmm. I've had jobs where, yes, there was the expectation that you were here somewhere between these hours. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if it was time to get a huge project done, you know, you were working on some sort of database projects, reviews, something like that, it wasn't that big of a deal for you to say, you know what? I can't be interrupted. I'm going around the corner and sit at Starbucks for the rest of the day because that's where I'm going to get my work done. Right. And then, because when it all comes down to it, I think all these different methodologies have the same end result. Did the work get done? It's just a matter of culturally whether or not people actually fit those those goals. And I think it can also differ by the team as well. You know, I know even from a learning perspective, you know, myself and my wife are so different. I thrive when there is noise around me, and when I multitask, that's when I get the most concentration actually on a piece of work, generally, um, where she needs complete, absolute silence by herself, off the, kind of, you know, those substantial personalities, and kind of a work environment as well. When it's so, what kind of tools do Okay, so in a work environment, do you find that like format of an office or how an office is set up affects productivity? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, you know, certainly, Prost, Robert Prost invented the cubicle, the action office. Um, and the concept of the action office was to create this new environment um, where you would have the opportunity to collaborate and connect and pop in and out of the experience. If you were the technical workers then go back to your cubicle, to your, your covenant work. Uh, but what the action office became 
was a way to more efficiently use real estate, in fact, more people into less space, right. thanks to the modularity of the design. Probst sort of famously said in his deathbed that we can't his creation as being monolithic and standing. And I think that you go to an office, especially an office which is these seeds of people, you can see how people are impacted by that layout. People who are right by the water cooler are constantly being interrupted. The people who are way at the end are getting things done. You know, the folks who have windows who can see outside don't have visual affective disorder. And the ones that are buried in the center are depressed. You can very much see that by someone's zip code in a cube farm what their outcome will be. And ultimately, none of these people want to pick this five, but it's fine. And that really is very actually evolved. So what what do you think is the most efficient work environment? Well, the most efficient work environment is the one that you choose. If you want to get things done, and you're a professional, and you're responsible and capable, then you want to select the environment that's best for you. Mom, you mentioned that your wife uh, prospers in the environment she is absolutely quiet. For me, I like the music one. And that's an interesting uh, dichotomy, because that means that we can't work next to each other if you prefer silence, I prefer music. That's right. why I wear headphones. Right. And so maybe we need to work in different spaces. Right? Some people work really well outside. Maybe at different space. Other people need to work indoors. Sometimes it works, lend themselves well to team environments or full time, some don't. It depends on what you need for the style and time of work. All right, we're going to take a short commercial break uh, here at our sponsors, Delibra. Delibra has been providing email software and professional services for more than 13 years. Delivera helps businesses and organizations execute effective email marketing campaigns by providing dynamic software and professional services, from full-out consulting engagements to help when you need it in areas such as design, production, deliverability, and testing. Voted one of the 2011 Best Places to Work in Indiana and one of Inc. 5000's fastest-growing companies. Delibra partners with businesses and organizations across all industries and verticals and truly opens its doors each and every day to put the customer first. To learn more about Delibra, visit www.delibra.com or call 866-915-9465. Tell them you heard about Delibra from the Marketing Technology Blog. That was a message from our sponsors, Deliver, email marketing firm in town. If you're looking for email marketing, check them out. Um, we have another question from the chat room from Harry. Um, Harry would like to know a bit more about your book, Failures and Secret to Success. Um, what was the most difficult part about bringing it to fruition? Uh, for me, the most difficult part about uh, bringing the book was accepting that the idea was book-worthy. I think that uh, whenever you have an idea for something, usually it doesn't seem that exciting to you. It feels like, okay, that makes sense, but uh, it took repeated efforts from talking to people about it to really get the sense that this work was And uh, that was the hardest part of all, was accepting that the book would be worth writing. It's just sort of uh, a nice uh, irony because the book is about and what has been the most gratif- gratifying aspect of it? Any other plans for writing, pub- 
well, oh yeah, several several books in the works right now that are in different stages of publishers. I think the most gratifying part about writing the book uh, was the experience of completing something, which is so final. You know, so often our work in our life will never be completed. Right? You know, if you have a relationship, you always looking to improve it. You have a website, you always under construction. But here is one of the few things that you can produce that is in a final, finished edition. Right? And uh, it's a large work. People have written a book, so it's exciting to have an accomplishment that it's done. And Do you consider yourself a writer, or did you prior to writing the book? I think everyone's a writer. I think mm-hmm. that you need to accept yourself as someone who has words to share with the world. Um, well, I want to talk about this notion, you know, like we were talking about at the beginning, um, people assume that being busy is being productive, yes. which is definitely not always the case. And then there's another correlation with that, that the more time you put something into something, that means you're more productive, which is, you know, obviously not the case either. So let's talk a little bit about like the correlation between time and productivity. Mm-hmm. How what are some tips about using your time most efficiently and you know being most productive against what what are your thoughts on that? I think to understand why we have this um, really tragic obsession with time busyness, we have to rewind the clock a bit and understand how and why we work the way we say. And our entire working methodology today comes from the 19th century in the Victorian. Hey, I'm talking about difficulties. Sorry. Never really hear us. Maybe you back, back on time? I think so. I bet you historical tells and stuff. This is great. Too boring, Robbie. Harry, can you hear us in the chat room there? Don't let them turn in. I think we're right. Sorry about that. Sorry. So, and back in the Victorian era, back in the Revolution, um, really we first came to the notion of creating systems for work that were based upon hourly pay, or peace, and also piecework being paid to your output. Right. And um, all of the systems and all of the machines that were invented in that time were trying to find ways for people to work faster and be busier more of the day even at the expense of life and limb. Now, that has continued to the present day, and that we feel like if we're at work, we need to at least look busy. Because if we don't look busy, then what value do we have? Even though most jobs, in the reality, have lots of downtime. They have lots of aspects in which we are not actually working on a critically important project, but things are more long-term, more reflective, and more research-oriented, and yet we still have sort of ingrained in our work DNA the idea we must be busy all the time, right? Even though being busy doesn't need to be productive. That kind of left over from so that transition from our, our our culture being based on manufacturing a widget to the concept now where it's more of like intellectual capital and creativity, which is it it it, it looks a lot different than building a car, building a thing. I think I think part of it is the, is the shift in the economy. But I think more it's the shift in our perspective on what it means to value humanity. You know, I think that if you look at our, our cultural development, we're starting to treat people as people, not as some existence in this great chain of being where most people are less important, not even human. 
we, we, we've only had some degree of, of human rights, of civil rights, for a very recent part of our history. And for really the reality, for the vast majority of the world, most people were not considered really people. They were just considered, you know, a little more than livestock. And even in the working classes, the working classes were considered, well, we have to pay you to do this work to mechanize this. But if we can mechanize you out of it, it would be even But now we have in the 21st century this new respect for humanity that all people deserve to be respected regardless of race or color or breed or anything else. And I think that's starting to become uh, part of our working environment. And we're realizing that it isn't just about using people for labor, but rather leveraging their talents, their creativity, the possibility of transforming our world. So do you think that as a society, you know, going back to that culture now, do you think we've become more productive or less? We've certainly become more productive by every measure. Okay. We also have earned the right to be less productive if we choose to be. The amount of leisure time that we have today available to us is far greater than we've ever had in our history. And that's an interesting phenomenon as well, because it means that when we do labor, when we do make an effort, we can use our intellectual capacity to liberate the free. Because we don't need to constantly be dealing with the factory, wearing ourselves out physically to provide for ourselves. But to get back to your original question about how to be more effective at work and more efficient at work, I think the most important thing to do is to be conscientious of the work that you're doing. Constantly asking the question, is what I'm doing advancing the company? Is it helping our organization? Is it of value to myself and my career? Or is it simply busy work? Am I simply doing something that I'm doing to look busy? And if I am, maybe I should stop doing it. So, you know, obviously in today's world, um, we have online distractions all day, every day. Pretty much everybody, you know, either works on a computer or is around some sort of technology during the day. What is the connection to you between online, you know, online productivity and, um, you know, how can we be productive with so many distractions online? Well, I think that the secret to being productive, um, despite online distractions, is the same as being secret to productivity about online distractions. Right? And that is to create environments in which you pick both. I often say that every computer comes with a productivity button, which is the on-off switch monitor. And I use that switch all the time. I'm in front of the computer and I need to write a thank you note, read something in a paper book. I press the off button on my screen. And for 10 minutes, I'm not looking at the screen. It can't distract me. It's amazing how effective that is with that thing's from interacting with me. You also have the door to your office, the door to the conference room, chance for a Starbucks. These are all ways in which you can give yourself an environment in which you can focus on the work that's drive you. So on the other hand, you know, coming from the online marketing industry, you know, obviously one of the big questions in our industry, or my industry at least, you know, well social media takes so much time and, you know, writing blogs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what's the connection between online marketing and sort of well, I think that online marketing is past that definitely the way, and you're always a really good efficient and more effective. I mean, you know, there are very simple techniques. We, I mean, anyone who works in online marketing is already leveraging. The most simple technique is time shifting or scheduling. And so if you have a series of things to do, then you can schedule them out through the course of the day or the month. Whether it's your email marketing, your Twitter work, or Facebook, or anything else, time shifting is very effective. 
And that's simply because of the fact that the task of work that you're going to do is easier to do it all at once and then schedule it out than it is to pick up that task when it's time to do it and then do it, do it over and over again. And so if you need to write blogs, write 10 blogs and schedule them all. Don't write one blog the next day write another blog. If you need to write tweets that are going to promote your company, write them all at once and schedule them out. So time shifting is the most fundamental thing that you can do to help yourself be more efficient. And it's incredibly effective. For our own blog, for example, we are always scheduled at least eight weeks out, which is an amazing phenomenon. Wow. It means I never, ever worry about our online marketing. Wow. If I need to help clients or I have proposals, if I want to take time off, if I want to do anything else, I have no concerns about a marketing platform because we are always scheduled that far out. What about current, current stuff, current relevant uh, articles? Absolutely. And that gives us the ability to focus on current and relevant articles when they pop up. We don't have to also do that and for the pipeline. So if an event happens, we can take an evergreen piece, push to the end of a line, and then write about a current event. Right. As opposed to having to also juggle current events and the pipeline. Oh. Yeah. Absolutely. Another question in the chat room um, says, what advice do you have for those who are being managed by their technology, rather than managing technology to improve their productivity? <laughs> That's a great question. People do feel like their technology controls them. And I think a big part of that is because technology has the power to act. So one of the most fundamental problems with, uh, say, email, for example, is that a lot of email systems have a notification feature. I don't really consider this a feature. I consider it annoying. And it has the ability to pop up a message or play a bell saying you've got mail. Now that was pretty adorable in the 90s <laughs> when you got one right? But now, when you get an email every minute or two, it's really a distraction. So the first thing you can do is that any of these tools, don't allow them to have the power to decide when you use them. Instead, disable that feature. I've been hearing this conversation, and I use a very, very high-tech system to disable my phone notification. I put my phone face down on the table. Now, I'm confident that people have sent me messages during this conversation. I've gotten updates to things, but I won't see them because my phone is face down on the table. Right. Now, this is an incredibly effective technique for preventing technology from managing me. So how do you uh, handle managing the anxiety that may come as a result of that? Like, for instance, you've got your phone right there, down, face down on the table. Um, I probably would have freaked out by now. We're yeah. about 20 minutes in. I don't know if I can do it. Well, that's a good question, too. I remind myself that I am not a cardiac surgeon, right? I am not a spy. I don't work on steel team sticks. My job, my life does not require instantaneous response to life critical events. No one's going to die if you don't get something that's right. done. I'm not a firefighter. I am not someone whose job depends on my ability to respond with incredible urgency. And so because of that, I can put my phone for 20 for an hour or a day, and I ought to be able to do that. I think that's an important thing to recognize for all of us, that very few of us are in those roles. And those that are, build systems around them. Right. Right. Okay. So what is your personal or your biggest challenge for productivity? I guess what's your biggest distraction or the biggest problem in terms of my biggest challenge is the expectations I put on others. And I think that's very difficult for me because I, I feel part of my professionalism, if you reach out to me, if you contact me by telephone or email or even send me a direct message on Twitter, I feel it's my professional duty to get back 
depending on the medium and the nature of the message. But most people I interact with don't have the same sense of, uh, of importance about returning messages that I do. Now, some of that is just the nature of sales and the nature of interaction, but also the fact that most people don't prioritize that type of communication because other things are in their life. And so I have comprehensive follow-up systems for calling and emailing and tracking people down. And uh, that to me is very frustrating. I would love for all of us just to be you know, responsible and return phone calls and emails. You spoke about my boss. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, just kidding. Um, so, okay, getting back to, you know, kind of the row subject, do you think that it is more productive. Uh, okay. Do you think that people can be productive in an eight five work environment? Or well, obviously everyone can be productive during some time. But I mean, what do you think is an ideal work hour situation? I think that the ideal work situation is one in which every employee, every person who is working, has the authority and the responsibility get the things done that are assigned to them. In whatever manner, whatever time and place is best for them. Now, obviously there are times of assignments that require you to be a certain place. If you work in an ice cream shop, okay, then you have the authority to be able to dish out ice cream and give it to people and take their money. Right. The responsibility to close the door and the shop. Right. But nonetheless, you cannot execute that authority and responsibility unless you and your colleagues coordinate to cover a shift. Right. So obviously, in any environment, you may need to do things together with your team to choose when you will work, how that work will be patterned. And certainly, it wouldn't make sense if you work in an ice cream shop to work for 10-minute shifts five times throughout the day. You want to work for a couple of hours and take a break. It's just not efficient to work 10-minute you know, right. shifts. But that doesn't preclude the fundamental aspect, which is having the authority and the responsibility to get things done. The problem in most organizations is that almost everyone has all the responsibility and none of the authority. And then a handful of people have all of the authority but none of the responsibility. And that tension is the fundamental problem in the modern workforce. Okay. Harry has another question. Um, when when is productivity a virtue, and when isn't it? For example, during a romantic dinner, productivity is not a virtue. I would hope not. I would argue that productivity is always a virtue because it affords you the right to choose when you are unproductive. The more you get done in a given time, the more opportunities you have to choose not to do things. And I would even argue that during a romantic dinner, you can be very productive. Like what? <laughs> like live tweeting? Well, no, not live tweeting, right? As in being prepared, right? I mean, for example, if you're having a nice live dinner, if you're having a nice dinner with your wife or with, uh, you're on a date, why not be prepared by knowing what's on the menu? Why not be prepared by knowing what shows are playing there that night? You can pick up one to go to, right? That's not you have meaningful conversations. Why not prepare in advance with topics to talk about so that you are ready if you might be nervous about Those are all ways in which you can be more productive during the experience. It might sound a bit clinical, but I think all of us value time spent with someone more in which both people know what quality time is. Okay. Okay. 
were only, like monthly contact work. Mm-hmm. So do you think that there's a connection between, you know, like, so we're going to pay you a retainer, mm-hmm. but we might not necessarily, depending on your needs, be doing as much as you expect. I mean, do you think there's a connection there? Well, I think that, you know, paying a company, one company paying another company a retainer is very, very different than one boss paying an employee monthly or hourly wage. Right. It's a very different concept. Because um, if I buy a service from you as a service provider, if I buy internet from your ISP or I buy electricity or I buy you know, groceries delivered to my house, what I'm really paying for is the convenience of working with you and leveraging your expertise. Right. I'm not really buying time. Okay. So if I buy um, internet, what I'm really buying is the convenience of getting this information. I'm not buying a certain amount of bandwidth, although obviously I want that and I want access. And if that's not, I'm upset. Right. But I'm not really looking at those sorts of things. So those are very different relationships, and I would argue you shouldn't confuse them. And most workplaces, the problem is not that the retainer um, is not used, not set in the right way. It's that there's no connection between how that's paid and how people individually feel their own value. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. So we got another question, Robbie or Harry. You're very active. Thank you. Um, the question is: What advice would you give government officials to begin improving productivity in the public sector, which seems impervious to improvement? This is an interesting problem because there's been lots of efforts over the years to try to streamline government. And in fact, uh, President Obama has just made a, a major initiative to try to streamline government, and it combines two elements. Uh, it can buy one of which is very traditional, which is consolidation. So under consolidation, you take multiple different areas that are doing similar work and you reclassify them to be combined together. So that's that's a consolidation effort. And there's really no evidence that consolidation is particularly effective. It's sort of like shuffling dexterous with that hand, right? If there's a problem, it's something to go. Other thing that they are doing in this initiative, which is somewhat unique, is that they have reached out to individual government employees and try to empower them to be part of improvement. And it is always true that the people doing the work are most likely to have the best ideas for how to improve the work. So there is no opportunity there to make changes. Now, I think that in the government environment, the biggest problem we have is the culture of expectation around those roles. Government jobs are one of the few jobs in which we have incredible longevity. The average government worker works far longer than the average private sector worker in any given role. Government workers very often have pension, they have great insurance, they have benefits, and also because of bureaucratic requirements, it's difficult for those people to lose their jobs. And so as a result, there is no incentive in the government environment to compress or reorganize or reduce or modify the workforce. Whereas in the private sector, if you can work yourself out of a job, and then we on to the next one, everyone back. So I think that the main change that, that government policymakers need to do is to change the culture of the government job and to say that we have got some really brilliant people working in the bureaucracy, but like the private sector, we should be finding ways to help advance the career and move forward, not so much establishing this as a lifetime career in one role with whatever agency. All right, then we're going to take one more commercial break. Here from our sponsor, Zoom Rain. 
Zoomerang online surveys and polls is the fastest and easiest way for your business to create and send surveys online. With Zoomerang, you can create unlimited surveys and polls and send them via email, Facebook, Twitter, or embed them on your website or blog. You can view results in real time and start making better business decisions immediately. Use Zoomerang online surveys to get customer or employee feedback, test a business idea, plan events, and more. It's easy, fast, and best of all, free. Join over 2 million satisfied users and sign up for free at Zoomerang.com. That was from our sponsor, Zoomerang. They do some awesome free surveys. They have a free account and also paid accounts. Great market research tool. Um, well, now I want to go around the room and introduce everybody who's here. So let's start with Adam. I'm Adam Small. Person, people are in touch with you. <laughs> uh, on Twitter, at Adam Small, I'm part of the mobile market. Okay. I'm Muhammad Yassin. I work for HCC. We are a travel medical insurance company here in Indianapolis. Um, and you can find us at hccmis.com or find me at muhammadyassin.com. Steven. Steven Shattuck, Dean Marketing for BC Ford, UIC Consulting and Staffing. You can find me on Twitter at Steven Shattuck, at HACC. And Robbie, I'm how can people find you and Slaughter Development? They just Google Robbie Slaughter. That's the best way to find me. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Uh, if that doesn't work, then uh, we have real problems. <laughs> it's true. Okay. And I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and that sort of stuff. And then Slaughter Development, you know, do you, have a, do you guys have monthly seminars? We do. Here, here in Indianapolis, we have monthly seminars. Uh, you can learn more about those at IndieProductivity.com. Um, and we also have a variety of other online content as well. We do work nationally and have to talk to anyone about their needs wherever they are. Awesome. Well, did you guys have any alternate questions for Robbie? Thanks for coming down today. Thanks for this conversation. Great. Well, everybody have a happy Friday. And good luck getting around next week because it's going to be crazy downtown. Um, happy Super Bowl. Bye. Connect with us anytime at marketingtechblog.com. And from there, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Tech Blog.